Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. Washington State had a public referendum on the ballot last year, last November, Initiative 1639. And basically what it called for was that purchasers of semi-automatic weapons now have to be 21 years old or over. They have to undergo an enhanced background check. They have to have completed a safety course. Now, this, again, this is semi-automatic rifles. And they have to wait nine days before they can take possession of their weapons. And this is, this is all basically to discourage people who on impulse run in, buy a gun, and go out and shoot up a school, that kind of thing. I mean, that was the intent of it. And there's also a provision that if they fail to store their weapons safely, they find themselves at risk of the crime of community endangerment. So the good citizens of Washington State passed this law. Majority of them voted for it. It became law. The legislature certified it. The, the governor signed it, or however, the, you know, whatever the process is. And now more than half of the sheriffs in the state of Washington are saying, we're not going to enforce this law. And I'm wondering, what's up with this? On the line with us is Sheriff Richard Mack. He's the founder of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. He's on the board of the Oath Keepers, oathkeepers.org. He's the former sheriff of Graham County, Arizona. CSPOA.org is the website. You can tweet him at Sheriff Mack, M-A-C-K. Sheriff Mack, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's always good to be with you. Thank you. So what's going on here? What is the rationale that these sheriffs are using to argue that they can defy the law of the state? Well, they're trying to keep the oath of office. They're trying to enforce the Constitution. Every one of these sheriffs has sworn an oath of allegiance to the Constitution of Washington, to the Constitution of the United States, and they're trying to keep their word and their oaths. And in a democracy, they would probably be doing the wrong thing. In a constitutional republic, they're doing exactly what they promised to do. Since how America was never intended to be a democracy, they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they are adhering to the will of the people in their counties. It's really not fair for Seattle, to, that controls the major population of the state, 
to force down uh, all the counties uh, in the state down their throats what they believe should be the, what's going on. Yeah, I get the geopolitics of this, that basically the argument that's being made, particularly by some rural counties, is we didn't vote for this thing. The majority of our people certainly didn't vote for it. You know, Seattle's this huge area, and, and you got a no, bunch of liberals didn't. there, and they voted for it, and, and they're right. the majority of the state, and, and therefore, right. and, and in fact, a number of counties have actually passed resolutions saying that they disagree with it, or even, you know, arguing that, they, that it shouldn't be enforced in their counties. But... I don't get how this is constitutional. Is there a, a constitutional right to own an assault weapon without any regulation in the state of Washington's constitution? Yeah, actually there is. First, you have to go beyond that, Tom. Do the people have the right in any state or in this country, or do politicians have any right or authorization to pass gun control laws? First, you have to ask, does this legislative body have the authority to pass this law. That is never questioned when legislative action is taken in this country. Well, this wasn't a legislative body. This was the people of the state. I I want to get your other question. Do the people of this country have the authority and the right to vote away rights of other people? If the the people of Seattle wanted to reinstitute slavery, would you be making the same argument? No, but what about my right not to have my child shot up at school? You, yeah, you have that right, but this law is not going to make that happen. If you want, if you well, want to know the truth, the truth of the matter is we should be making sure our schools are armed with trained people who know what they're doing to make sure that we don't do this. But Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Mack, you know the statistics. The more, the more guns there are in an area, the more homicides, the more suicides, the more gun accidents there are. It's an absolute linear relationship. The more guns there are, First the more... Of all, First of all, I wrote a book about that. I dispelled all the myths and the propaganda and the brainwashing that the liberals have tried to feed uh, our country for the last 50 years. It's all a hoax. It's mistaken. It's not true. And just because then why does why why like people are going to do something wrong with it? Well, hang on just a second. We have we we, uh, of all the guns in civilian hands in the entire world, all seven billion people on Earth. Switzerland. We we are we have 50 percent of the guns in civilian hands in the world. And we also had 40,000 people die as a consequence of guns last year. We are such an outlier. We are hundreds of percent higher than any other developed country in the world. I mean, we're, we have well, gun death rates that are like with Afghanistan. Every home there. And so your statistics are always going to be uh, falling on uh, the truth. And the truth is Switzerland has never been involved in any war. They do not. Ha- they have the lowest uh, gun violence of any country, and they are the safest country in the world. If you have a gun so in Switzerland, you must. There are all kinds of regulations, Sheriff. You know this. There are all kinds of regulations in Switzerland about those guns. They have to be stored a certain way. They can only be used a certain way. They can only be transported a certain way. There are only certain places in public where you can carry a weapon in Switzerland. They are very heavily regulated. They are nowhere. Actually, they're more heavily regulated in Switzerland than this law in Washington State that your sheriff buddies are saying they're not going to enforce. And good for them because they're actually supporting freedom and they're actually supporting liberty. And I already gave you a comparison that if Seattle voted to reinstitute slavery, are you going to say the same thing then? No, you're not. And no, and I'm not. And I would be on your side, which I'm very sorry. We're not talking about slavery. We're talking about guns. 
Exactly. But we're also talking about laws and who could make them. If Seattle voted to require everybody to eat three candy bars a day, I mean, come on, nobody in this country is seriously suggesting a reinstitution of slavery. That is such a strong no, argument. I, I'm giving you a hypothetical. That's what we're talking about. But I'm not talking, talking about, about hypotheticals. hypotheticals. You've got actual sheriffs in Washington state who are saying, yes, the people of this state passed a law. It wasn't even a legislative body. It was the people. Tom, I told you the answer to that. How come liberals can't get it when people are standing for liberty in this country? How come liberals do not support liberty? Tell liberty to the parents of Newtown. Tell liberty to the parents of Parkland. Tell liberty to the people who are shot up in Las Vegas. Richard, no other country on earth has this problem. liberal. Liberal brainwashing is, if you have a problem, make a law against it, and we're all going to be safer if we take away law-abiding guns. And you're saying that that, that the problem that, are you trying to tell me that the problem that we have of mass shootings, which pretty much doesn't exist anywhere else on earth, that the problem that we have of, of, you know, 40,000 gun deaths a year were massively higher than any other country in the world in terms of those, that those problems are the consequence of too much liberty or not enough liberty? This makes no sense to me. Yeah, we don't, I know liberals hate too much liberty. And, and I know you guys do. Well, we're talking and about too many is, guns here. You have to follow the law whether you like it or not. Well, that's what I'm saying to you. Don't these sheriffs have to follow the law whether they like it or not? They are. It's called the Constitution of, of the state of Washington and the Constitution of the United States. Then shouldn't, then shouldn't they take, the instead of refusing to enforce the, the law, shouldn't they sue at the Supreme Court of the state of Washington, which adjudicates what is and isn't constitutional under the laws of the state of Washington, and try so to win? We're now back... So we're now back to following everything the courts tell us. Is no, no, it? the Constitution well, the of the state of Washington slavery. says if you disagree with the law, you appeal it to the Supreme Court. No, you no, you don't. You just got through talking about civil disobedience, and then now you're talking just the opposite. Tom, stand for freedom regardless of what the courts tell you. Stand for freedom regardless of what the legislature says. So your and definition of freedom, the the people. let me just get this straight. Stand your definition of freedom is ignoring freedom. is ignoring laws passed by the people, refusing to enforce those laws if you're a sheriff, and refusing to do what the Constitution and requires, which is appeal it to the Supreme because Court. they're supporting the higher law. They're supporting the higher law. The higher law being and, the Constitution, your right? This is your no. Hang, is, hang on a second, Richard. Your argument, your, your, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot. No pun intended here with your argument, because your argument is that the higher law is the Constitution, and that the Constitution guarantees you a right to have a gun. The Constitution also requires that if you disagree with the law, that you take that to a court. Okay, tell me where tell me where that is in the Constitution. Well, I don't. That, that is not I can t- in the Constitution. In the United States Constitution, it's Article no, Three, it Section not. Two. The Supreme okay, Court shall have appellate well, jurisdiction. Okay, so you supported Plessy versus Ferguson and the segregation that stayed because of Plessy versus Ferguson for. Again, we're not talking years, about slavery here. We're talking about guns. Okay, no, no, no. Tom, and I was not alive in 1898, and and I th- Tom, I think if I were, I probably wouldn't have supported. So you're saying that as long as it's enacted, the law has to be obeyed, and Rosa Parks should have been arrested for not giving her seat to a white man because it was the law, and the sheriff had to. Rosa Parks was not a sheriff. She did not take an oath to uphold the law, and the law says if you don't like a law, you take it to the court. So why aren't you guys going to court? Because that's ridiculous. Your premise is ridiculous, and it contradicts everything I've heard you say on your show thus far today. 
What am I? What am I missing, Richard? You only support that if it's to kill babies, but you don't support if it's to stand for freedom. But, I, you on. know, I, I, what am I missing here? The 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 Constitution. You're missing the law. You're missing the Supreme the, Law. The cost. The, the, the Supreme. The Supreme Law. The Constitution says if you don't like a law, you litigate it. Why are these sheriffs not suing instead of simply refusing to follow their oath to do what now, the Constitution just, says? Okay. When I went to the Supreme Court, I did what you said, but the first judge said that I was forced to choose between keeping my oath to the Constitution or obeying the act. I'm telling you that when these sheriffs in Washington were forced to make that decision, they did the right and honorable thing, and they stood for individual liberty and the rights of the people they worked for. They don't work for Seattle people. They work for the people in their county. They did the right thing. They did exactly what we teach people to do. Stand for liberty first. Okay, Richard, Richard, we're out of time here. Uh, you have the last word. Sheriff Richard Mack, the founder of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, Board of Directors of Oath Keepers, oathkeepers.org, CSPOA.org, and you can tweet him at Sheriff Mack. Thank you, Sheriff Mack. Thanks, Tom. See you soon. This yep. is the Tom Hartman Program. Fascinating. Fascinating. You, you, all these sheriffs in, in Washington State literally refusing to enforce the law passed by the people. Michael, watching Free Speech TV in Princeton, Minnesota. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, that was a good debate, by the way. You won. I'm sure Richard thought he did. I've talked before about conservatives who are hustlers versus conservatives who really believe what they're saying. I've known Richard Mack for a number of years. He really believes what he's saying. I think he's wrong, but you yeah. know, it's it's uh, occasionally refreshing to actually have a good fight with somebody who, on both sides, the person actually believes what they're saying. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> The reason I called was, I know we got some groups that want to overturn the Buckley and uh, Citizens United. Yeah. And my understanding is that if we don't have the presidency, we need two-thirds in each house. You have to have two-thirds in each house and three-quarters of the states to pass a constitutional amendment. The president is not involved in the process. Okay, yeah. And to make it non-repealable, we would have to go a constitutional amendment. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about, to amend because the Constitution. If, because if they overturn it now, the next time Republicans come in, they can turn around and, and just uh, repeal it. That's correct. Am I correct? That's absolutely right. Okay. A friend of mine asked me, and I wanted to make sure I got it right. Yeah, no, it's, you know, Congress could pass a law that contained a provision called court stripping that said that the Supreme Court, under Article Two, Section 2 of the Constitution, they, they can't strike down the law, basically. Congress can do that. It hasn't been done in a way that was at all contentious ever in the history of the United States. It's one of those break glass in case of emergency kind of situations, court stripping is. But I think really the way to do it is what you and I were talking about a minute ago, Michael, which is you pass a constitutional amendment, it gets introduced. And by the way, constitutional amendments to roll back Citizens United to say that corporations are not people and money is not speech have been introduced into Congress, into the United States Senate, and into the House of Representatives numerous times. They have not hit that two-thirds threshold in order to get out of Congress so that they could be sent to the states. And then, of course, it would take three-quarters of the states to ratify them. Oh, that's a tough one. It is. That's why the Constitution, there have been over 30,000 
constitutional amendments proposed in Congress since the founding of the Republic, and only 27 of them, I believe, have been made into law, have, have actually been made into amendments to the Constitution. One of them, the one about congressional salaries and things, was introduced in 1791, and it was finally made law just a few decades ago. Another one, though, the one that, you know, to lower the voting age to 18, that was introduced in March of that year, and it was ratified in August. So it is possible to get something done in just a few months, even something as complex and difficult as a constitutional amendment, but it requires massive public support. That was during the Vietnam War. As, as I recall, it was 1971 that that happened. That's really what it takes. And I think, frankly, we're damn close to massive public support for overturning Citizens United and doing it via that constitutional route. I believe so, too. I hope we get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. You're welcome. And thanks yep. for the call, Michael. Good talking to you. And uh, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. You're listening to Tom Hartman. William in Silver Springs, Nevada. Hey, William, what's on your mind today? Hi, hi, Tom. We had a local sheriff that is a member of this association, as Mr. Mack is, mm -hmm. and he thinks domestic violence protection orders are an overstep of the law. It's resulted in many deaths in my community. And so when someone like Mr. Mack calls, it always reminds me of how he wants to talk about his right to commit violence against us or carry a gun, but we don't have a right to protect ourselves, or the ladies in my community did not have a right to be protected. And I've seen the judges in my community step up to protect ladies and children, only to be undermined by our local sheriff and his belief in his rights. And I know from living in 15 years in the West, Nevada, that this is a bought and paid for response from the gun industry. Hmm. And in Do you think that's county, where it's all coming from? Uh, to me, it's coming from the gun lobby because I live in a county that's so gerrymandered that we have a quarter of a million voters, and this sheriff was set in office with 12,000 votes. You mean and a majority of 12,000 or simply 12,000? Yeah, 12, yeah because I'm locked, independents are locked out of the primaries here. Uh -huh. So he said, he's sitting here in office with Mr. Mack's attitude with the backing of 12,000 people in a community of a quarter of a million. So when I hear up north and my neighbors up north, a sheriff saying, hey, I got the backing of my community, they're only counting Republicans because they don't. Yeah. And the other thing about I have to say, I, I really wish, I hope you let me say it, is our gun law in Nevada isn't a gun control law. It's a violence control law. And this stuff that Dean Heller started is a paid-for response. And what we're trying to do as parents is create a new culture for our children 
not adults. You, you, you argue with these guys. They're, 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 it's a waste of time. I want to teach nonviolence, mm. you know, and compassion. And our hope is that our children will quit selling, settling their differences with a gun. Yeah. Now, well, for, I've never seen anything in the Constitution that guaranteed Mr. Mack or anyone like him violence against me. But yeah, and, and the fact of the matter is with Heller, um, he was a, a, a police officer, or maybe he was a private uh, guard, but he had to wear a gun for work. And the challenge, if I'm remembering, the, you know, Heller versus, wasn't it Heller v. D.C., as I recall, yeah. was that he was not allowed to transport his gun to and from either work or home, one or the other, by the gun laws in Washington, D.C. That could have been narrowly struck down. It could have been very narrowly decided. But Scalia wanted to find this whole brand new individual right to own guns in it. And he went back to an anti-federalist pamphlet, a, a pamphlet from the 1780s, arguing against the Constitution, saying that the Constitution should not be adopted to come up with his phrase, protect hearth and kin, and make it sound like he was quoting the founders. I mean, it was a scam. What we're trying to teach here is we have to change the culture. It, it's been advertised, bought and paid for by the gun industry. In our lifetime, Tom, how much money have they made in the West in their gun shows? God only knows. So we're, we're, it's been we're millions. We're trying to just change the culture. When we talk about it in our public meetings, we just feel like that we're beating our brains out against people like Mac. William, I'm out of time here, but thank you for the call. And I love your comment that it's not about anti-gun, it's about anti-violence. That's brilliant. We'll be right back. Cannon in Oroville, Washington. Hey, Cannon, what's on your mind? You know, this area is fairly economically depressed. <laughs> and Are you in, in you know, rural? I don't know where Orville is. Are you in rural Washington? Yeah, well, I'm north central, very north okay. central Washington, Okay, uh, right up by the border. Very red but, area. Um, yeah, and we have, uh, you know, two actually police in this new law, which I, which I did vote for. I think there's some good stuff in that. Mm-hmm. I think to put the manpower out there and... You know, some of these areas the the sheriffs don't even really want to come out to, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest with you, and my, not too far from my own backyard. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest things I wanted to share with you is something that we're all missing. I think, and we've we've got these solutions in our midst. And you know, with the gun violence in schools and whatnot, one of the things I think we've got these great resources and assets. I think in the way of manpower, we have a lot of unemployed veterans. They've seen combat experience, extreme mm-hmm. situations as such. Of course, you you know, you might want to give them a mental fitness evaluation, but we could be putting these guys in these schools, you know, to head off these situations. I'm not and, sure having combat veterans in schools is a good idea. I mean, you've got a lot of people yeah. who have PTSD as a consequence of that, and schools are oh, not sure. combat areas. Combat veterans are taught to kill. No, they they're, they're, not, they're not trained law enforcement officers. There's a world of difference between being a law enforcement officer and a soldier. Right. But, I mean, you have these cops, some of these stories I hear, and it's kind of privy to. You have these guys that are not able to handle bullets raining down, and the guys that have been in these war situations are used to it every day. Why don't we just get the guns out? 40,000 murders last year. We've got half of all the civilian weapons on Earth, half of all the weapons on Earth in the hands of civilians right here in this country of only 300 million people out of 7 billion people on the planet. Why the hell is this? Some of the disparities that you've spoken of, and I think you've you've hit some of the insights, the key insights are 
when you have social inequalities and all these other things, it's informing some of these extremes. You have people going out and they're wanting to turn on their neighbors, turn it out on society because they got a bad deal. They feel like they got a bad deal in life. Cannon, I think it goes beyond that. I, I think what you have, you have uh, men who are raised in this society to, to feel and believe that they have to be the breadwinners, that they're the ones who are responsible for the quality of life the rest of their family. And then you have 40 years now of Reaganomics that has ripped apart the middle class and sent our manufacturing overseas, destroyed good middle class jobs. And you've got these large rural areas where they are lacking modern infrastructure. They don't even have decent high-speed internet anymore. And basically all they've got is Fox News and they're living on in many cases, food stamps and essentially welfare. And in many states, in the red states, they don't even have access to health care. So these men then feel like they are not providing for their families. They can't buy you know, new clothes for their kids. Their kids get laughed at at school because of the way they look, because they can't get dressed properly. They can't drive a new car, so they're embarrassed when they're driving. I mean, and, and so basically, they feel like their manhood has been challenged. And then mm -hmm. the NRA comes along and says, hey, look at this. It scares the crap out of everybody else, especially especially those people who have been taking away all of your economic so, opportunity without telling them it's the, the billionaires in the Republican the Party who did it to them. By spending the money. Right from the three years, like, you know. I'm sorry, Cannon, you're, you're breaking up really badly. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear what you're saying. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. So, who's right here? I mean, you know, I, I get it that you've got people in many of the counties in Washington state who are saying the majority of our people didn't vote for this law, but you live in a state. You know, I mean, the supremacy clause of the Constitution says that the Constitution and federal law is supreme over everything else. There's typically, and I haven't read the Washington state constitution, but typically there's an analog of that in every other state's constitution that says that the constitution of that state is the supreme law of the land and that the laws that are passed by the people by referendum or by the legislature through the appropriate legislative process are also the law of the land and that not just sheriffs, but all law enforcement officers are sworn to uphold the law, are they not? I mean, what am I what am I missing here? Tina in Hopland, California. Hey, Tina, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Let me take you off. Just I go just wanted to remind Officer Mack that there was an armed police officer on the Parkland campus. He never went in. Yeah, yeah. So, what guarantee is that? And he's not a third grade teacher who had no intention of carrying a gun to work every day. He was fully trained. I don't know how true it is, but I've read he's on retirement collecting a pretty fat retirement. Don't know how true that is. When Gabby Giffords so, was shot, there were three people in the crowd who had guns, who had yeah. licensed concealed carry guns, three of them. The guy got tackled by a 74-year-old man when he was reloading because none of them could get a clean shot at him. And But that's that's kind of a, a secondary issue, but I get it, Tina, and that is not going to work. <laughs> Tina, thank you for the call. Michael in Ferndale, Washington, you want to support Sheriff Mack? Uh, no, I disagree with him entirely. <laughs> okay, go for it. I, uh, I think Sheriff sure misunderstood. No. Sorry about that. No, what I wanted to say is that I read the law with a fine-tooth comb. I voted for the law. I'm a gun owner. I'm a hunter, all of that. There's stuff in the law I disagreed with, but I voted for it because it's a step in the right direction, and we got to move that way. But mm -hmm. what the law requires is the sheriff's department to perform those additional background checks and submit written paperwork, whether the 
person is eligible and can have the gun. So all of these liberty and individual freedom, blah, 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 arguments aside, it's more work on the sheriff's department to process all this stuff. And I think that's part of the reason. So you think you think uh, that, that it's laziness being justified by constitutional vim and vigor? I think they're looking at it and saying, how are we going to now process all this paperwork? What What's the system that is mandated by law that doesn't exist right now? Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Michael, thank you for the call. I, somehow I doubt it. I mean, you know, from what I'm hearing, and Sheriff Mack is like the head of this group, you know, or, or part of this group. It's, well, we'll see. Ernie in Spokane, Washington. Speaking of Washington State, hey, Ernie, what's up? The sheriff you talked to, I don't agree with his take on it at all, and others don't either. There's a Superior Court judge who's retired that wrote an excellent letter to the uh, spokesman review this last week, and he just basically said that they take an oath of office to uphold the law of the state, and the county sheriffs that are doing this are, are just... Uh, off base. This is all located in eastern Washington, and all these counties are very right-wing, uh, except for Spokane County, which is a major city, of course, so that's the difference. Right. And we had a excellent candidate for our representative from this area last fall, and at the last minute there was a bunch of money dumped in there, and Republican representative was re-elected. But uh, I, I think by trying to make this gun issue such a big thing. There are other things happening with this now where they want to try to establish a 51st state, which would be eastern Washington, north Idaho, and a small part of uh, Montana. Yep. But the problem with this is that, from what I've seen, they've only had like 50 to 100 people support it. But everybody is so hardcore right-wing in this area, this northern tier of eastern Washington. Yeah, eastern Oregon really is tough. about the same, central and eastern Oregon. According to this story by Jason Wilson over at The Guardian, several rural counties, including Cowlitz, Franklin, and Stevens counties, have now passed resolutions opposing enforcement of this law. Grays Harbor County is considering a similar resolution, and only four county sheriffs in the entire state have publicly said that they will enforce these laws. Yeah, well, I think the part of it that, that is the problem is it requires you to store your gun safely in your home, and, and I think they're saying that we can do anything we want in our own home, and if we want to leave our guns laying around, if we want to take our guns to bed with us, then that's... <laughs> If that's their argument, I wonder what they would say if somebody said, well, you know, I'm entitled to have a meth lab in my bedroom. I'm entitled to store heroin <laughs> under my kitchen sink. Yeah, correct. It's, really? Uh, and, you know, they use this word liberty. I think it's kind of like a, a right-wing tagline that I don't really understand what that means. But, but our representative, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, uses that all the time. Uh, the state also reintroduced wolves in the northern tier up there. And, of course, they're just outraged at that that uh in fact one of the legislators uh, representative for me said that he'd like to start a wolf uh refuge in olympia so that governor inslee could have his own wolves or something to that effect and uh, i'm just really proud of our governor he's taken trump head on several times and he's yeah. he's done an excellent job yeah. so, jay inslee's uh, been a good you know, governor and you know he's now thinking about running for president and if he does the issue will be the climate and uh, it's going to be fascinating yeah. ernie i need to move along yeah, with sure. ernie thank you for the call by the way it is the anniversary of the assassination of trayvon martin Today, speaking of guns, Richard Mack kept trying to bring up slavery, the remnants of this, number one. 
and number two, I just I wanted to point out, and you know, shameless plug department, I suppose, but but actually, I think this is really important in this new book that I wrote, the Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment, which is now available on your favorite local bookstore. In that book, the first third of that book is the history of genocide, racism, and guns in the United States. It sets the whole thing up. The first third of the book, you know, goes you know all the way up through the modern era, but it starts first. Europeans to set foot on this continent. And the history of guns is just one incredibly grim thing. And Trayvon Martin, one of the victims, one of many, many victims of it. My friends at X-Chair are at it again, constantly tinkering to make an already superior product even better so you can work in even more comfort and be that much more productive. Now you can enhance your X-Chair's performance and protect your floors with incredible X-Wheel blade casters. These urethane wheels are driven by butter-smooth, whisper-quiet ball bearings and are built to last. As if the X-Chair isn't comfortable enough, now you can add a set of X-Wheels and take your performance to the next level. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can take your comfort and productivity into the stratosphere by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Cliff in Hillsborough, New Jersey. Hey, Cliff, what's up? Hey, Professor, how's it going today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, just a response to Sheriff Mack, something that I think was overlooked in the debate. Sheriff's offices, like all other law enforcement, are part of the executive branch of government. By selecting whether or not to enforce a law passed by the legislature, they are claiming for themselves the constitutional power to interpret the laws as dedicated to the judicial branch. So not only are they spitting in the face of the core foundational framework of the Constitution, which are the articles, they are also spitting in the face of the very freedom of how we the people govern ourselves. So his, his liberty argument is, is just kind of like a farce uh, in and of itself. Without the pejoratives, I think you said it better than I did when I was trying to say, but wait a minute, the Constitution says if you don't like the law that was passed by the people of the legislature, you litigate it. If you don't like Article 1 legislation, you take it to Article Three courts, right, right. at the federal level. Um, don't know how it's organized in, in Washington State, because you're part of the Article Two. You're part of the police power, the executive branch. You're, you're exactly right, Cliff. There's also something else that I think it kind of concerns me more. I'd love your your take on it. I can't get over this argument that we don't live in a democracy, right? I, I right. see this in in so many uh, right wing arguments, yeah. uh, and that somehow a constitutional republic isn't founded on democratic principles. What I see that as as an attack on our core self-governance freedom in and of itself, the, the power of the people to govern ourselves. And it actually, to me, is an authoritarian fascist argument. And it's kind of disturbing coming from someone uh, who is in law enforcement because they're yeah. kind of a literal representative of the police state itself. Where this started in a big way in the current era was during the McCarthy era. Joe McCarthy 
First of all, he said, don't ever use the word democratic when describing a Democrat. Use the word Democrat and emphasize rat. And that's why you get these people on Chuck Todd's show the other day. I, it just, I was like pulling my hair out going, you know, how can you let him say that? the Democrat Party? There's no such thing as a Democrat Party. But the other thing is, back at the founding of the republic, the word democracy and the word republic were functionally interchangeable. Madison used them back and forth. Mostly they used Republican back in the day, Republican principles and things like that. But they didn't make that distinction. That distinction was not made until decades later. And it was made in large part when the Democratic Republican Party, founded by Thomas Jefferson in the 1820s, dropped the word Republican from their name and became the Democratic Party. It's been largely a partisan argument. But if you were to look at dictionaries back from the 1770s, Democratic see Republican, Republican see Democratic. Thanks, Cliff. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Oh, and my point was that the, the Republicans in the 1950s were saying, say it's a republic, because that sounds more like Republican. Don't say it's a democracy, because that sounds like Democratic. Devin in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Hey, Devin, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. Yeah, I, I was just uh, wondering how you uh, how you could compare your argument with Washington law enforcement not enforcing the law was passed, and how you would compare that to the situation in California, where the entire state has basically considered itself uh, sanctuary and decided not to enforce the law. How do you see that debate falling down? I mean, to the best of my knowledge, Devin, and I may be wrong on this, and maybe somebody will call and correct me, and maybe even you know. But to the best of my knowledge, the enforcement of, uh, of our borders, the enforcement of citizenship, the enforcement uh, mechanism for people being here uh, legally and appropriately is a federal function. It is neither a state function nor a local function. And what sanctuary cities have said is that they will not allow their police departments or their police officers to engage in federal law enforcement if they're asked to by the federal government, because the federal government doesn't have the legal authority to do that. And to the best of my knowledge, there are no laws anywhere in the country that say that local police officers have to enforce immigration laws. That's the province of the federal government. There's an entire federal agency devoted to that. The Immigration and Natural, what used to be called the INS, the Immigration National Naturalization Service, now it's ICE, I, you know, whatever that stands for. And so I don't see a parallel at all here. You don't see a parallel in... Nope. Okay. Uh, I, I do. I see a parallel in that... Well, what's the law that, then? What's the law that in California uh, is not being followed? Federal law. But state law enforcement officials don't enforce federal law. Well, but, but doesn't the... Didn't you just say the Constitution, our, our federal law, is, is paramount to all of them? So therefore... If if we come in conflict with a, a local law comes in conflict with a federal law, then we must obey the federal law. But the federal law does not say that local officials have to enforce immigration law. There There is no law to that effect anywhere, to the best of my knowledge. If they want to turn somebody over to the feds, that's their choice. They are not doing it because that is their oath. They're not doing that because they are following a state or local law. The federal law specifies that a federal agency that is educated about how to do this. I mean, there are all kinds of appropriate protocols, how you approach somebody who you know, may or may not be in this country illegally, because we don't want to live in basically Nazi Germany. We don't want to live in a country where any cop can walk up to you and say, your papers, please. 
And so it was very narrowly and tightly defined as this is the federal agency that enforces these laws. And that federal agency, you know, ICE has reached out to a lot of police departments and said, hey, if you find somebody that we should be enforcing the law on, would you please turn them over to us or at least tell us about them? And that happens in a lot of states. But some states, like in California, you've got, uh, or some uh, cities, they're saying, no, we're not going to do that. If we come across somebody who's not here legally, we're not going to enforce ICE. We're going to let ICE figure that out all by themselves. That's their job. That's what a sanctuary city is. It's not we're refusing to enforce the law at all, to the best of my knowledge. Devin, i got to run, but if you can demonstrate that I'm wrong, give me a shout back uh, and cite the law to me. Tom Arbin here with you and uh, Debbie in Gresham, Oregon. Hey, Debbie, what's up? Well, I was listening to your uh, talk that you had with Sheriff Mack. Mm-hmm. I actually went to one of the meetings in the mid-90s that Sheriff Mack gave here in town. I should say at the Milwaukee Grange. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, I was listening to his talk today. Mind you, at this time, I was working at the gun counter in a sporting goods shop out in Gresham. Mm -hmm. That's how I found out about his meeting, Mm -hmm. because he was a lobbyist for gun gun owners of America. Hmm. So I went to this meeting, and he was selling his book, and he was trying to teach each and every one of us how to vote for sheriff. And, you know, how the sheriff is the supreme land of the supreme person that could... Yeah, Sheriff Mack believes the sheriffs are the top law enforcement officers in the United States. Right. And it's up to them to enforce the laws or not. And that way, it's up to the people to make sure that they vote for the right sheriff. Now, the other man who was speaking there was the author of the Fourth Right. And all of the other people I was attending this meeting with were what you called sovereign citizens, Mm. the non-taxpaying people. Right. And so it really struck me as kind of odd that there are many people in town were believing this type of thing. Yeah. And I never went back to another meeting, but right after this meeting was over, Sheriff Mack went to Arizona, and those people <laughs> had an election down there, and they got rid of him. Yeah, yeah. He's been trying to get back into elected office since, and it's not working. Yeah, it can be a very seductive idea because there's, I think in many cases, there's a large chunk of white supremacy embedded in this. We stole this country fair and square from the Indians and, and killed them off, and now we're the conquerors, blah de blah blah There's the whole victimhood thing, you know, with the, the big government and the liberals are trying to take away our freedoms and our guns, and through decades of really, really efficient propaganda, you know, the NRA and the, and the gun manufacturing lobby have conflated liberty and guns. And it's really weird. 1978, the NRA was supportive of gun control legislation. That year, there was basically a coup in the NRA, and it was taken over by the firearms industry rather than being a sportsman's group. And suddenly, they turned hard to the right, along with the Reagan administration. And that was, you know, that was the end of the story. Well, I know that because I was working while it was actually G.I. Joe's out there in Gresham when they were still in business back in the mid-70s when that all happened. And things started to get a little bit more militant. Yeah. And then that led to the Tim McVeigh's of the world and all these, uh, you know, right-wing militia movements and things. It's amazing. Debbie, thank you for sharing that story. That's absolutely fascinating. The situation in the uh, Ninth District of, I believe it's North Carolina, where the... Republican is now saying, Mr. Harris is now saying, oh, yeah, let's just have a new election. 
when it's fairly clear that he knowingly hired somebody to commit a federal felony of election fraud, you know, going around to people's homes, mostly in black neighborhoods, asking them for their ballots, uh, their absentee ballots, and then filling them out and voting for Republicans and submitting them, or if they were already filled out for Democrats, destroying them. And so now you've got Harris saying, well, yeah, let's just have a new election. At the same time, down in Texas, a Texas appeals court last week, this, this is from Huffington Post, a Texas appeals court last week refused to overturn the conviction of a 39-year-old mother of four who had been sentenced to eight years in prison for voting illegally. Her name is Rosa Maria Ortega. She came to the United States as a baby. Her two siblings were both born here in the United States. She is living in the United States as a legal permanent resident. She thought that as a green card holder and as the sister of two U.S. citizens, that she could legally vote. And, you know, she, she just thought that was the case. She actually had voted. She's registered as a Republican, by the way. She had voted in several elections. Then she moved. And when she moved, she tried to re-register. And on the form, it says, are you a citizen? And she checked no, because she's not. And so they sent her back a note saying, sorry, you can't vote. And so she went to them and she said, but I voted in the past. And at that point, Ken Paxton, the attorney general for Texas, gets in the act and brings charges against her. And they have convicted her. And she is in prison right now. And she's serving an eight-year sentence for voting. Voting while Hispanic, apparently. And the appeals court down in Texas said, nope, not going to overturn that. She can just rot for eight years. And this is emblematic of what happens to, uh, you know, the, the, the vast majority of these so-called illegal voters, the phony baloney vote fraud that the Republicans are constantly looking for. Bobby Higdon in North Carolina, he's a federal prosecutor, and he has just gone on a tear against non-citizen voting. The state came up with a list. They said that out of the 4.8 million people who voted in that state in 2016, there were 41 that they thought were not citizens. Higdon went into a full-blown tear on them, charged 19 of them. They were foreign nationals with illegally voting. One of them, a 72-year-old Haitian immigrant and legal permanent resident since 1976, thought he could vote because he had a green card. He pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to 12 months probation, a $25 fine. Korean native uh, presented her green card while attempting to vote, not realizing it was against the law. They arrested her for trying to vote with a green card. Judge was aghast that a poll worker failed to intervene and tell her that she couldn't vote. And he fined her only 100 bucks. Uh, another woman, 66, was sentenced to two months in prison and a $250 fine for helping her Mexican citizen boyfriend register to vote. She didn't know it was illegal. They're almost all mistakes. And there's only a tiny number of them. But this is what this guy is all about. So my question is, if you've got the, the, the federal prosecutor in, in North Carolina sending people, trying to send people to prison for voting illegally, if you've got the state of Texas saying eight years in prison for voting when you, know, you, th you thought you could legally vote, mistakenly voting, let's say, then why is nobody going to jail in North Carolina in the 9th District 
for what is obviously an election fraud campaign. Why is the Republican candidate not going to jail? Why is his campaign not going to jail? Why is the guy who hired all these people to go door to door and collect ballots, they may have been ignorant of the crime they committed, but why isn't he going to jail? You're listening to Tom Hartman. When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, paying attention to these good habits has a huge impact on your health. Introducing Quip, it's spelled Q-U-I-P, the new electric toothbrush that helps to fix the brushing habits that most of us get wrong. Quip does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need, and cost five times as much. Quip starts at just $25, and you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks, and shipping's free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. So go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. I, when you were uh, debating Sheriff Mack, you mentioned Afghanistan, but you didn't elaborate on it. Mm-hmm. But I think I know where you're coming from on that. You know, I spent years in Afghanistan, and, you know, they have a warlord culture. Mm-hmm. All right? I mean, it's real. It's pernicious. I mean, people support it. And I mean, it's, I know and it's hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years old. Yes, and, and do, is that what we want? Respectfully to Sheriff Mack, respectfully. Is that what we want in America? We have to look at the big picture here, Tom. You know, and it sounds ridiculous. America, of course, could not descend into a warlord culture, right? But look, I am very anti-neocon. People will say, well, what is a neocon? I, I mean, I know that's complicated, but are we so sure that neocons are just not nation-state warlords? We have to keep in mind... Uh, and this is why I love Bernie. Bernie refused to call uh, Maduro a dictator because it's just name-calling. This name-calling can escalate into warfare. This warfare, regardless of what CNN says, you know, precision bombs, you're going to be killing women and children and the elderly. You're going to be blowing them into pieces, and you're going to be maiming them. And killing I men mean, isn't a good idea want. either, by the way. <laughs> it's... But, no, yeah, no. I, I, but what no. you're saying is you're going to be killing innocent people. I mean, of, uh, you know, of all ages and genders. I do think, though, that the United States has, to some extent, in the past, and in some ways, even today, had a warlord culture. Uh, you know, I think of southern plantations uh, back during slavery times, and I think of some of the enclaves out west, particularly some of the old Mormon enclaves um, that were very, very heavily armed and were able to be where they were, how they were, by virtue of the slaughter of the people, the indigenous people who lived there before. Right. And the solution is, you you talked about this with Sheriff Mack, how do we define a Republican democracy, as it says in the Constitution? And you guys had a really, really great conversation on that. But if we don't get on the same page, we might be in an epistemic crisis where we have two different sets of facts, like the Civil War. Okay, Okay. Uh, North Korea could descend into a warlord culture as well. Without, without the Kim dynasty. I mean, you know, we, everybody in, is in agreement that the Kim dynasty is no good, right? But 
without the Kim dynasty, I mean, Kim said it himself to Trump. He said, look, if I do what you want, there's going to be a coup in my country. I, I think we all laughed it off, but Kim was telling the truth there. Yeah. He was. Which raises another question, which is, should there be a coup against Kim? You know, I mean, I, I, the, the North Korean people are starving. It's a dysfunctional system. It's a, it, you know, that, that goes way beyond warlordism. I mean, that's just plain old flat out dictator. And he's preaching that his grandfather was descended from the sun, as I recall, that, that he's divine, you know, that he is the, the grandchild of divinity, if I'm remembering correctly, Dave. And the thing is, Kim knows how to manipulate. I mean, what if he tells Trump, you know, how great he is, and maybe he's descended from, you know, some sort of mythological figure in our culture? I mean, this is he not a good situation, already has. Tom. He probably already yeah. has. That's why Trump's giving him everything he wants. It's amazing. Dave, thank you for the call. So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's up in the world today. On the line with us is uh, Bob Ney, former congressman from Ohio, author of the book Sideswiped. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. So, A, as a former Republican congressman from Ohio, I am curious your take on Michael Cohen's testimony and your former colleagues, and I'm sure you know some of those people, the Republicans in particular, who were responding to him, unless you've got something at the top of the news hit parade that you think uh, we should talk about first. I think that, yeah, the big story of the day, obviously, I've been talking about all day, is the fact of, of Cohen up on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And he's going to complete with his private meeting with the Senate Intel. But it, just a couple of takeaways, and then, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on the Hill. i talked to people both sides of the aisle, so it's been fascinating to hear the conversations of what they think. But just an observation of an interesting point where Cohen, in fact, says, you know, Trump's a scumbag, Trump's a liar, Trump's this, he's a racist, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, Cohen, of course, uh, spent 10 years with him. <laughs> right. And then Trump comes back and he says, well, Cohen's a this and he's a that and he's a liar. Of course, Trump spent 10 years with him. Right. So the fact remains they spent a decade together. Some people say they deserved each other. Yeah, lay down did. with dogs, and, get up with fleas. <laughs> so, you know, I've been there. So the point, I guess, is that putting you know that aside, I think it was a devastating day, obviously, on Capitol Hill for Donald Trump. Now, there were certain things that Cohen did make some statements that he would never have slapped Melania. So Cohen didn't go to the point where he just said anything he wanted to say. And that gave him, I think, you know, more credibility in the process, Tom, actually, you know, to, to say, well, wait a minute on this or that. Now, there was one moment, and this was the main story carried by the right-wing media. There was one moment where he wasn't as genuine as he could be, and that's about a White House job, okay? But mm -hmm. I think that's neither here nor there. There were two obvious points that stuck out here, I think, big time in a third issue. But the two points that stuck out, and if this can be proven, then I think the president has a legal problem and a legal jeopardy. And people can say, well, it's a big issue or it's not, but here's the two points, as we know. Number one, the fact that the president has submitted to uh, Robert Mueller, obviously, some statements and some answers to you know questions that Mueller had. And one of them would center around the fact of what the president was told about, you know, a meeting with Assange of WikiLeaks and also about the dump that was to come or not. Now, Cohen, of course, said there was a speakerphone conversation that he was privy to in which Roger Stone said, here's what happened. He talked to Assange on the phone, et cetera, and the dump is coming. So if that is the case, then the president, if it can be proven, 
would be liable, obviously, because that's a statement, a deposition of sort with Mueller, then that would be perjury, right. which would be comparable to the issue made of Bill Clinton, who had to give a deposition in the Jennifer Flowers case. Right. The second is a campaign issue because members of Congress and the president included have to fill out a financial disclosure where you state whether you have you know, you have assets, of course, liabilities, but you state whether you have debt or whether you owe somebody something, which the president did not state that he owed Michael Cohen any form of money, a money payment or a loan, right. et cetera. Anything do. Of course, Cohen says, and he produced a check that, you know, the president paid him after that issue where the president would have on his financial disclosure said that he didn't owe money. That's a, a second problem. Right. And in addition to election there. fraud and right. transparency fraud, whatever that's called, that could also be tax fraud. Yes, and the falsification of a federal document. Right. That's what that also could be, and I know that issue quite well. So it's falsification of a federal document, of the accuracy or the truth in it. So that's the other issue. The third thing that stood out to me is something you and I have talked about from day one, and that is New York State, where I do believe at the end, whether Mueller feels he can indict or he can't indict, or whether there's an impeachment or a non-impeachment, the second part of this process, and Cohen confirms that he's talked to New York State. And, and now, hang on, just say, we hear a lot about the Southern District of New York. That's the federal right. prosecutor. What about right. the state attorney general? I think that's right. Underwood, is, am I remembering right? There's a new one? Yes, there's a new attorney general because there was a scandal with the old one. There's a new attorney general. But New York State has been delving into this for quite a few years. And that's uh, why I mentioned New York State, because there's no question that information provided by Cohen will be and is or has been passed to New York State. So you're talking about state-level prosecutors, not the second district of New York. Absolutely, state-level. And I want to mention that because even though that wasn't the topic of the day, this information, things that were said all go to the state of New York. What's the significance of New York State? And I've been preaching about this for months beyond, you know, the emphasis of Mueller and what he'll do or not do, is the fact that, number one, if they indict the Trump family, the children and or the son-in-law, right? Mm -hmm. The president cannot pardon if there would be an indictment and conviction. It has to be in his mind. He cannot pardon anybody out right. of the state. If, if the state Number does one. it, right. He can only pardon federal sure. crimes. Absolutely. It's fascinating it's stuff. stuff. Fascinating stuff. Bob okay. Nate, thanks so Thank much, you. Bob. Thank you, Tom. Good talking with you. Thank you. RJ in Greenville, Michigan, listening on 1680 AM. Hey, RJ, what's up? You know, the minute that I heard that the NRA was involved with the Russians, I knew we could be in trouble. And I dare say, you know, I don't have real hard evidence of this or hard membership roles or anything, but I dare say that the vast majority of members in the NRA are either former or current members of our armed forces. And this leads me to believe that we never should have allowed for a volunteer army. I have always felt that a draft is a good thing because it creates diversity in the military, and that's and not just racial diversity, but economic diversity, geographic diversity. Right now, the military is very, very heavily tilted toward people from the South and people from very low socioeconomic status. And so you're getting a certain level of homogeneity that is, in my opinion, dangerous, destructive. You know, I didn't believe for a long time, I didn't believe we should have the draft just because, you know, of what my brothers 
Oh, I protested against the draft when I was 17. I'm a firm believer and we should have the draft because, you know, it's the only way that the members of the armed forces and the population can actually say, no, enough is enough. Yeah. And what I'm a little afraid of is that if there is an insurrection, Mr. Trump already has a little voluntary lunatic army. (laughs) You know what I mean? This, This could get ugly. It really could. Well, you're hearing those kind of predictions from some of these guys on the right. I mean, they're actually using the phrase civil war now more more and more. Right, I mean, right. You know. And, and, you know, the more they start speaking in those terms, I'm afraid with them, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you know what I mean. I and, you know, they tend to believe one another, and they don't believe in any logic, any truth. It's their reality or nothing. And that's what really scares me. And I, well, I and, hope we can find a way to defuse the situation somehow. There's a cult within that movement that most people are unaware of. Tim McVeigh is probably the best example just because of how many people he killed. And he had read this book called The Turner Diaries, which was written back in the 70s. And it's become this cult novel for these guys. And in fact, you know, I encourage people to read it. It's really quite oh, star- it's scary. Pardon? It's scary. Yeah, I, so you're I, familiar I with the book, RJ. I read it. Yeah, and I actually had a neighbor give it to me. Yeah, there. Um, well, that he tells has you a lot. Six boys, and all of them are being trained right now as we speak in using automatic weapons. I mean, semi-automatic weapons. Well, for people who don't know what we're talking about, RJ, in the Turner Diaries, basically the narrative of the story is that this guy, the hero of the book, blows up the federal building in Oklahoma City. This causes the federal government to overreact to his act of domestic terrorism and clamp down and say, okay, that's it. No more guns in the United States. And the police departments are ordered to start going door to door and and getting guns. And meanwhile, there was another piece to it that had to do with race that the good white gun owners basically rose up correct me if i'm wrong here rj it's been 20 years since i read the book rose up against the the people of color against jews against catholics and against the police forces basically took down the federal government uh, killed off uh, you know everybody that that list that i just described and these white evangelical christians were the only ones that were left and you know with this noble country right that and that was the end yeah. of the turner diaries yeah. and that's what tim mcveigh so thought he was going to create out. yeah yeah i mean this is what these people believe in and i live in an area surrounded absolutely surrounded by the lunatic fringe yeah i mean it's damn scary stuff area, it's it's very scary stuff how much clan activity how much uh, oh I, I, mean, I rj i grew up in michigan i you know i yeah. have friends in high school who were whose fathers were parts of the, uh, the michigan militia rj i want to get one more call in here before the end of the show so thank you for the call russ in portland oregon hey russ your thoughts on the peaceful transition well, I just wanted to say, Tom, I'm glad to hear you talking uh, the way you're talking about the, the very real possibility that we could have civil war in this country. Back in 2016, my girlfriend directed me to a blog, and he was basically saying, you liberals had better vote for Donald Trump, or we're going to bring civil war down on your heads. And if people want to get an inside look at what's going on, there's a, a book that was published in 2018 called Chosen Country, A Rebellion in the West by James Pogue, a very talented young millennial gentleman who wrote this book. He infiltrated 
the redneck Mormons who took over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. Mm -hmm. And if you read that book, you will get an idea what's going on in this country. And don't, uh, like you said about the military, don't, if these people do make a move on the the liberals, etc., and I'm talking about these these rednecks and these Christo-fascists, as I call them, they're the ones... Uh, also, uh, Michelle, Michelle Goldberg's book, uh, uh, Kingdom Coming, is another one that yeah. people need to read. Yeah. Russ, i got to bail here, but thank you. Noted. In fact, I saw Sean writing down those titles and, and authors. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back uh, same time, same place with, you know, more great radio. <laughs> and in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That means you. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.